Please be seated. So I'm delighted that we're so full on a holiday weekend, a long, long weekend weekend for a lot of you. Um, Fourth of July gives us time to pause and be sentimental about previous Fourths of July. I grew up in North Georgia where um, right before we shot off fireworks, you would frequently hear one of my friends say what some have called uh, often the famous last words of redneck people, hey, y'all, watch. (laughs) My grandpa and grandmother um, made me think a little bit about a lot of things that I used to get to do with them that my kids have never done and probably kids should not ever do. (laughs) My grandpa, um, who was a chain-smoking, car-loving a uh, little wiry fellow, uh, would always buzz up to South Carolina and buy his babies, which he called us, bricks of firecrackers. And he would buy M80s that he enjoyed tossing in the air and blowing up. And so we would spend the 4th of July blowing up firecrackers together. Um, and I, one 4th of July in particular, I remember going to Moccasin Creek Park and camping out with them in their pop-up trailer where um, the kids, no, I didn't do this, mind you, but the kids ran a relay race where they had to put both hands behind their back and smoke a cigar as they ran from one end of the field to the other. <laughs> yeah. And then there was the other, uh, the other uh, competition where they threw quarters and half dollars and silver dollars in the ten-foot-deep end of the pool, and we all uh, dove for them and fought one another underwater for them. And I sat in the middle seat up front, you know, without a car seat. There were lots of things that we did back then that we don't do now. One of them, and this this is a memory that um, my grandmother probably would not want me to have etched in my memory, but, I mean, how can it not be? Um, My Boy Scout troop, uh, they had a competition at a campery one year. This before I was a Boy Scout, but my brother was. And the competition was, now Gainesville was the poultry capital of the world. They released... A um, hundred or so chickens in a yard, and the first uh, patrol to catch, kill, clean, and cook their chicken won the race. I'm not making this up. And, and so my grandma, uh, she knew how to kill chickens, and she grew up doing this. You know, her, her mom would say, Cora, go out back, get us a chicken for some dinner. And they'd go out and pick one of the, the hens that wasn't laying eggs anymore, and she'd wring its neck, you know, pull the head off, chop it off with an axe, and then, you know, uh, pluck it, gut it, bring it inside. And so, of course, I remember watching in horror as my grandma picked up this chicken and said, now, boys, you just go like this, and twisted its neck. <laughs> this is my sweet grandma who would never hurt a soul. <laughs> so there were a lot of things back then that we did that we don't do anymore. Um, My son has never grown up seeing a chicken being slaughtered, and my middle daughter has been a vegetarian since she was seven, so (laughs) also true. And you know, we have to address on this day the the 800-pound gorilla in the room, which is the binding of Isaac, the scripture from Genesis. We were joking in the back that if you were to preach on the three-verse gospel and skip that one, that that would be really taking the easy way out. 
Because that's a difficult scripture. And you know it ought to be. Because it's a difficult thing to hear. Now when I grew up, uh, as a lot of you probably were taught growing up, it was framed as being all about Abraham's willingness to obey God, unto the, even unto sacrificing his only son that was a miracle to begin with. And I always found this kind of horrifying. And I, and I remember riding home with my dad kind of looking at him sideways. You know? And, and there was a... Uh, the, the popular Christian writer and preacher, Rob Bell, um, wrote a new book called um, What is the Bible? It's a great, great book. And he tells a story about one of his um, evangelical megachurch friends who, in a sermon, talked about uh, climbing to the top of, uh, it might have even been Mount Moriah with his son, and saying to his son, reading the Isaac story to his son on top of the mountain, and then saying to his son, son, I just want you to know I'll always love God more than you. Yeah. I would never say that to my son. Um, and I certainly wouldn't read him this story on the top of a mountain. <laughs> and so... We're challenged by this story because if we take it in the literal sense, then it's kind of horrifying, like a lot of other things we read in Scripture. But this story um, can be for us something that is life-giving and something that brings us uh, some, some things that we can take with us today because, um, first of all, it, it's, it, it is about addressing the practice of child sacrifice, first of all, that was common Keep in mind, this story's from the book of Genesis. It was common in, in our early primeval history that people did this, and maybe even common amongst Isaac's people or people that he knew well. Um, blood sacrifice was a common practice when things weren't going well. They would sacrifice animals, and then the more extreme they needed for the sacrifice, the animals would get bigger until you would maybe take one of your kids, and then you might take your most precious child, which in that patriarchal culture would have been your oldest son, which is what Abraham does. And yet, you know, some people want to, uh, in, in our early uh, scholarship, would say that, that, no, no, it's not about human sacrifice. Well, it is, because they found ruins of graveyards full of the bones of, of people and children and animals that have been burnt. They found um, giant uh, pottery vats full of the bones of children that have been burnt. People did this. And so, um, first of all, this can be a story about the rejection of this kind of violence. You know, in the story, uh, in the original language, in Hebrew, it's interesting because when, um, in, the, in par early par parts of the story, Abram says God, and the word for God is Elohim, which really is a plural for God. It means gods. And then later when he says Lord, the word is Yahweh, which is an abbreviation for God because uh, the Hebrew people never said God's name. And Yahweh is an alliteration of that, transliteration of that. And so the story, first of all, can be uh, a story of, of this moment when we rejected this abhorrent practice uh, because of this image we had of God, that God was a God who needed to be appeased by blood and violence. So here we have uh, the transfiguration and the, um, the, the transformation of the view of God that we had happened in this moment. And so, what does God say to Abraham when uh, God sends this ram, an angel and a ram, and says, don't raise your hand against this boy? God says later to Abraham, 
I will bless you, and then you will bless all nations. So then that says to us, well, then maybe what God is telling us today is that we become a blessing to all nations when we reject this kind of violence and we reject this view of God as a violent God. You might have noticed today that we marched in the flag and um, with, in our procession. And we do that on days of our national life, not because we're saying that we're going to worship the flag along with the cross, but because we're saying that we offer our very national life as an offering to God. So here in this ancient difficult story, we have a path towards the future, not only for ourselves, for our own country, and a path towards being a country and a people who bless all people. When we reject this view of God as a violent God who demands blood, and we see now in this story a God who doesn't demand sacrifice, and you'll recall from other scriptures, God says again and again, I don't demand sacrifice, but a contrite heart. I don't demand sacrifice, but loving kindness I demand. We see the rejection of this kind of sacrifice, and we see a God who sacrifices God's self to us. God gives the offering to Abraham. And then later on, God incarnate, Jesus Christ offers his own life up to a violent world, a world that still believes that sacrifice and blood is demanded, and he offers himself up to this freely. And then, of course, the last act of this is our grace, because then there is resurrection, of course. And God says to us, all along I've been telling you, good people, that I don't demand Blood sacrifice, I demand self-sacrifice. And not only that, I offer self-sacrifice to you. We even see this in our Eucharist every week. We offer our prayers and our thoughts and our energies and our fears and our offerings of tangible things to God. And then God blesses us and becomes present among us and feeds us with God's self. And we walk out of this place to love and Love and serve the Lord, blessed and strengthened by that very same self-giving God. So as we go forth into our own lives and into our national life, as we seek to, to be a people who crowns God's good, not by waging war and violence, but through, as our hymn said, Brotherhood from sea to shining sea. We have a way from our most ancient history of doing this. A way of self-giving and following a self-giving God. Amen.